Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Uh, uh, we have heard of all kinds of idioms in our lives and words and, and cliches that we've heard that we say uh, uh, as just human beings, one of them is familiarity breeds contempt. You've heard that before, uh, and you live it every single day. Uh, the human reaction, what it is, is really the human reaction to something familiar uh, is to either become bored or gloss it over because you've heard it and seen it all before. And if you're, if you're married, um, this applies to you, really, uh, in your marriage. Uh, familiarity can breed contempt. Um, uh, if you're newlyweds, uh, the newness of your marriage. Now, don't get upset for what I'm about to say, okay? Don't. That, that's the precursor. You're, you, the, the newness of your marriage will wear off. Not, not the love and all that stuff, but the newness of it. And, be, and if we're not careful, even if we don't nurture our relationships, whether we're one year into our marriage or 20 years into our marriage, uh, it will breed contempt and familiar. We'll, we'll gloss things over. That marriage session was for free, Okay. But uh, it's, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, you know, it's just general things like wearing your seatbelt. If you become so familiar with wearing your seatbelt that you decide not to wear it anymore, that could be uh, running, you could run into some serious situations, right? Uh, there are some things that can come in that are real, that are real handy if needed. If you're, if you're flying, for example, um, what is the one thing most, if not everyone, uh, in the plane have heard before? Before the plane even moves. You would think that if a flight attendant takes 10 minutes of their time in every flight that you get on to say the same things before the flight starts, you might think it's important, right? And so they stand up and they're, they pull, it, pull open the card, bang, you know, and they read through it and they read through it like they're reading it for the very first time. They're passionate about it and, and, and because the information is important. But what, what, what do we do? We're, we're not listening to the, the flight attendant. If you're a flight attendant in the room, I deeply apologize. But I will not lie in church. There are times when I am, no, I'm not going to lie. Very rarely do I listen to uh, the, those instructions. But we know that if we become too familiar with that, in the unlikely case that something should happen in a tube 30,000 square feet up in the air, in a pressurized tube, if something were to happen, uh, you might want uh, to know this information. So we have to be so careful uh, to not allow familiarity to, become, to gloss things over uh, in our lives. And sometimes stories that we've heard before, uh, we need to hear again. And uh, stories that uh, we have heard so many times that uh, it kind of breeds this familiarity and we kind of gloss it over. And if you've ever had the opportunity to sit in a church for a long time, when we used to do testimony services, you could almost verbatim uh, uh, get, uh, repeat some of the people who have testified over the years. Don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. I can do it with my father right now. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. My father would start his testimony. Do you want me to slow down? No, I'm not. I don't have time. The timer's on. I'm watching. You know, and, and, that, that, and so I would listen to my dad's testimony, and, and it would kind of gloss over a little bit. But I know where my dad came from. He was an alcoholic, and he gave his life to Jesus. And when he got up, every single 
time he would say that. When I think of the goodness, see, this is how he would say, of the Jesus, all that he's done for me, right? What, he, what, what has he done for him? He freed him from alcohol. He gave him a new life and a new hope, gave his family back. See, if we're not careful, the stories that we have heard, we will gloss over. And I remember one, for example, a story of my dad's friend who had experienced a tragedy in his life. He would tell this story to dad very often. It wasn't in church. It was at our house. I was a young kid, maybe a young teenager in between there. Uh, and I, 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 I've heard this story so many times. As a matter of fact, I remember at one point when he told the story, I kind of rolled my eyes. Like, oh, here we go again. You know? <clears throat> but the story is powerful. It, it, the story is, he, he tells his story, and it's a tragic story, actually. It starts tragically. What had happened was his, his, he had a, a trailer on the side of his house, and it caught fire. And one of his kids were in it. And he tried to save her. And he lost her. And he burned his hands. Okay? So you're listening to the story. You're going, oh, my goodness, that's terrible. But then you've got to listen to the rest of the story. He says, and Len, which is my father. Len. I mean, he tells the story just like my father. I never heard it before. Or I've never heard it before. But Len, the church came. And when they prayed and over my hands, and I took those bandages off, God. And I'm sitting there as a kid, even today, you know, I'm sitting there as a kid going, wow. And you know what? When I am reaching for faith in moments of my life, I think back to that story. And sometimes you have to borrow faith from other people. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you've got to lean back into other people's stories when you don't have faith yourself and borrow. And that's what I would do. And sometimes the familiar doesn't breed contempt. It actually breeds faith. Mark 6 can be one of those stories that you've heard and we can gloss over because it's so familiar. It is important for us not to gloss it over because Peter and and the disciples are in the middle of a storm. Okay? A squall. You know, a really bad storm. Rain, fog, and drizzle, and snow. Something that we got last week, okay? And a worse and, and, and all jokes aside, it's really a picture of us and the fragility of our faith in the middle of our own storms. That's why when we read this story today, you can't gloss it over. Because you are either going into a rough season of your life, or you're in one, or you've come out of one. Isn't that life? And so you're tempted today to go, ah, life is great, and it's amazing. We thank God for that. But there are going to be moments in your life when you're going to have to reach into this story that we're about to talk about today because you're in the middle of your own storm and need faith. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. See, the context Jesus dismisses the crowd, places them in a boat, and tells them he will meet them on the other side. And by the way, you are almost going to die in the middle of the storm. He doesn't tell them that, though. Uh, He was scarce on the details. And so getting into the boat wasn't unfamiliar to the disciples. We're talking about familiarity here, okay? It wasn't unfamiliar to them. This was one of the, the forms of transportation, and some of them were fishermen, but We are about to see that in the middle of the familiar, something unexpected comes 
in the form of a storm. He didn't warn them about the storm, but just a simple instruction. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you all the details? Now, in the middle of it, or before you go into a, a struggle in your life, you wish you had all of the details, right? But when you go through your storms, and it's nice to have the details, and sometimes we do. Sometimes we have an insight. But when you go through the storm, and you look back at that storm, you're going, thank God I didn't know all the details of this storm. Thank God I didn't know how long it was going to be, because I'm sure my faith would fail. But also, thank God I can see him in the middle of it. It says, after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. I'm going to stop right here, okay? i got a real problem with that last statement. He was about to pass them by. So much so, I'm going to come back to it, okay? So next, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they had all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. What does he say? Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves, which was the story before this. Their hearts were hardened. See how familiar the story is? Oh, yeah, it's the, Okay. And if you're not careful, you will be tempted to think it has no relevance for your life. This story is relevant to us from a a theological point of view because from the outset, it reminds us that Jesus is Lord over all creation. He's not only Lord over your life, but God controls everything. He controls, he's sovereign. We also need to recognize the Bible is consistent in showing us the pattern of God in a concealed form. And like, for example, it's, it's God showing up to Moses in the form of a burning bush and telling Moses his name is I am. And they would know that he would be water in a dry place, they, that he would be a warrior in their battles, that he is a sustainer in their weariness. And the disciples assumed they knew Jesus. Isn't that life? And we'll talk about that. His patterns, they assumed they knew his patterns. And they, the way he shows up in people's lives have become predictable. Because they had been there before to heal the blind man. They watched him do that. Heal the lepers to feed people from a small portion of, of, of food. They figured they had his pattern figured out. But if you're not careful, you can journey with God so long and think his, he acts and moves in a certain way only to find out he's doing something in your life that you are not familiar with. I didn't expect you to say amen there. I didn't because you, you, you're with me. You've been there. You know. You've walked through life and things are, the sail was in your wind, the, the wind was in your sails, things were going great and all of a sudden, bang, unfamiliar. They're, they're familiar with the boating, the angle of the sail to get the momentum they need to get to where they need to go. This is true of us. We set our sails in the direction of the wind, right? And assume we will sail along life with the momentum of the wind at our back, but not this time. They figured the wind would work with their favor, but it doesn't. 
This is a, a real picture of, of our faith because we think we have faith figured out, right? And when the winds are not working in our favor, then God must be against me. We've all, we've all been there. Don't look at me like that. We had a certain understanding of what our life was going to be like, so much so that there are moments when we stepped out of sight of God's will and we think we're self-autonomous and then God reminds us and something happens and we're like, well, hold on a second. This is not familiar. See, sometimes the storm, next slide, sometimes the storm in my life can be the result that God is in fact with me, not distant from me. I couldn't figure out the other day I was in my garage and I'm, I'm a very mechanical guy. I can, I can fix anything. Never, okay? <laughs> Don't get the idea. But I could do some things um, with the help of my 12-year-old. <laughs> uh, and I was in my, in my garage and the garage door opener was broken and it was off its wheels. And when, when I got up and had a look at the, the, the mechanism uh, that opens the, the garage door, I realized the pro- what was going on. The, the belt, it wasn't a chain belt, it was a, a rubber belt, and it had lost its tension. And so therefore, every time I would put the belt back on the wheel with, uh, without giving, without the proper tension, every time I would open the, the garage door, um, the belt would fall off and I would have to give my life back to Jesus all over again <laughs> after doing it six times. Uh, just being honest with you, okay? You see... That story may not seem relevant, but it is really a lesson in life, isn't it? The, the disciples in Mark 6 were tempted to think they had Jesus figured out. So when the storm hits, when the tension comes, they're Im- when the tension comes, their immediate response is to think that it's all over. And we think tension in life is the enemy to our faith. But tension can sometimes keep us on track. And storms can be some of the greatest moments for God to speak the loudest. I mean, you you know, the disciples ended up in a storm, not because they disobeyed Jesus. This is what I don't understand sometimes. They went in the direction of his command. They walked headlong into a storm because of Jesus. You know, we, we, we see key biblical characters disobey God and then sent into a storm. That makes sense, right? You think of Jonah. He was told to go to Nineveh, right? He didn't go to Nineveh. It's Nineveh, right? He went to where? Excuse me? This is like VeggieTales level, okay? Like, he went to where? Tarsus. Am I right in saying that? Nineveh to Tarsus. We can expect God to step in there and sh- put, to line him up and put him in a storm, which is what happened, Right? But this doesn't make sense. They go headlong into a storm because of obedience. And how can God be with me when the elements are not in my favor? Favor. It's, it's the tension in our life and the faithfulness of God to show us that even though the wind is not in our favor, we are still in, on the right track. And that's why you can look back over your life and see that storm you were in and see the faithfulness of God. We don't want to continue to Bethsaida. We want to turn around. But it's the wind and the tension that brings the presence that gets you through the storm. It is the storm that drives us to dependency on God. 
We don't welcome it. We don't jump up and down. We don't do backflips because a storm is coming. But the purpose of storms is to drive us to dependency on God. And see, I've never been to Israel. I love to go, but it's said that the mountain that Jesus went, went to towards the northeast of the Sea of Galilee, apparently you can stand up on the mountain and see the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that interesting? How Jesus sent them out into the water, he went to the mountain, and this is true, if this is true geographically, he could see them in the storm. Let me tell you, what you are facing today is not out of the, uh, of the purview of God. God sees you. Anybody? In the middle of the storm that you're in, in the middle of the pain that you're in, God sees where you are. That's why verse 46 I find hard to swallow. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Time out here. <laughs> I'm going to say this from a person myself who knows a few storms. When I read this, I'm, I'm going, that makes, that's counterintuitive. That makes no sense to me because one of the greatest promises we're told that we re repeat over and over and over, he will never what? Leave me nor what? He was about to pass them by. You see, the storm even gets even more suspense-filled because Peter is recalling the story to Mark so he can write it. Peter was the disciple, not Mark. Mark, who wrote the gospel, was an evangelist. Apparently, scholars wrestle with this a little bit, whether or not he had the preachings of, of, of Peter, Mark. Mark had the, preaching, the preachings of Peter, Peter, or was just influenced by him. But if you read Mark chapter 6, Peter said, and Mark said, when Jesus showed up, the wind died down. That's the end of it. But if you read another gospel, he added something that Mark didn't include. It's the same story, but something added. Here's what Matthew adds. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to, to them walking on the lake. This is Matthew, now not Mark. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Mark says, ends there. Then it says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Stops here. And hold on a second. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down into the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Why would Peter or Mark leave this part of the story out when Mark is writing the story? And what you need to hear and remember that just for a moment to go with me in the middle of the storm, we have heard so many sermons about how, how Peter got out of the boat and he walked a few steps. And, but you know what? It really takes almost as much faith to be in the boat in the storm. You know what I'm saying? Not all of us can walk on water. For those of you that can walk on water in the service this morning, well, isn't that wonderful? But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, all 100% of us, it takes a lot of faith to be in a storm. And it says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sing, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now that's my kind of language. I, I haven't stepped in on water. I haven't walked on water, but I can relate to that. <laughs> I really can. 
Will I, will I lose my job for saying that? I can. Does someone say yes? Was it a board member? Is this not our, our faith journey? This story has more relevance to you and I than we realize. And do not be tempted to gloss it over because it's familiar. If you're walking through the pain in your life in this moment, if, if, if what is in front of you is way bigger than the faith inside of you, if your faith has been damaged by, by someone or something, we know, when we know God's promises, but the storm in our life is more prevalent and overshadows any promise that we can conjure up in the moment, that's you today. Look what it says. Matthew, come, come, he said. This is God's voice. This is Jesus. Matthew says, but when he saw the wind. That's our reality. It really is. That's the, that's the struggle, right? God speaking and wanting to have faith, but seeing with our eyes the reality in front of us. And see, whenever we give more energy to what we can see rather than God's voice, our faith will always rise and fall on what we see. You hear what I'm saying? I promise you, every time we allow the view of what's going on around us to overshadow the word of God, our faith will die. Every time. And that's why scripture says, Hide your word in my heart that I will never sin against you. Because when we are in the storm of our life, the word has to be readily available. Anybody that's ever gone through a storm and have memorized God's word, you know what I'm talking about. When you are reaching for something and there's nothing of substance to reach for in the middle of the pain of your life, and all of a sudden, the word of God comes to your heart and it builds your faith. Amen? And if God's word isn't in my heart, the pain and the storm will eclipse my faith. Well, you know, the devil, the devil put me in a storm. The enemy put me in a storm. The, the devil gets blamed for a lot of things, you know, that he didn't do. And there's a lot of things that he does do. But it's evident that Jesus, in Mark 6, allows them to go into the storm. The enemy's weapon isn't sticking you into a storm. His weapon is distracting us from hiding God's word in our heart so that when the storm comes, we have, to, we have no anchor for our soul. You hear what I'm saying? When I'm not anchored to God's word in the storm, I pay more attention to what I see than what God says. That's where you say amen. You guys are tough, man. That's the best I got. That's good enough, isn't it? Peter was walking on water, not because he could defy the laws of buoyancy. Peter heard the voice of God in the middle of the storm. And I've been around long enough to know people who know God's word when the storm comes. I've been in hospital rooms with families dealing with cancer. And in the middle of the storm, in the middle of what they could see with their naked eye, in the middle of that, what should really kill their faith, they end up saying, he alone is my rock and my salvation. Psalm 62, 6. And I'm going, wow. I've been... In, a, in the ICU with a spouse after her husband almost lost his life to a moose accident and their eyes are not on the storm. It's the word. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And see, that's not a, deni a denial of reality. 
The cancer is there. The husband is still on the breathing tube. But a word from God is the anchor to the soul when our lives feel adrift. You're, you can be in the middle of the darkest night of your life and still have the clarity to hear the voice of God. Hear what I'm saying? It is when Peter saw the wind, he began to sink. Maybe that's why Peter left this part of the Mark's gospel. We're not sure. But Mark 51 says, 651 says, Then he, Jesus, climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely what? Amazed. And the relevance of this story is what happened when Jesus climbs into the boat. We are going to make some faith mistakes along the way. We're going to reach for God at times with a whole lot of faith in one moment and sink in the waves the next moment. It's not important what happened when Peter got in the water, when they were trying to navigate the storm all night. The storm didn't stop when Peter came to Jesus. The storm and the winds and the waves came to a stop when Jesus came to Peter. That's the difference. That's the gospel in a nutshell. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How great the father's love. You sang that today. To, to make a wretch a, 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 tre a treasure why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. Why? Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He came to us. Isn't that amazing news? And Peter's few steps on water didn't calm the storm. It's the presence of the one who controls the wind and the waves that calms the storm. Look what the end of the Mark says about this story. And if you're not careful, once again, as I come to a conclusion, if you're not careful, we will gloss this over because it's so familiar. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And here's what we need to know. Every time Jesus speaks a parable or places the disciples in, in real life situations, it's always with greater meaning. And while he was feeding the crowd, he was revealing himself as the Christ. And it seems out of place to add verse 52. But Jesus was referencing what had just happened before his, the storm. He fed the 5,000 with just a little. But the disciples weren't getting it, so he placed them in a storm. It, it's, it's one thing to stand back and watch God to meet the need of someone else but another to be in the middle of your own need. You know what I'm saying? And he sent them against the wind to reveal to them his sustaining power, the lesson they didn't get in the feeding. The storm served the same purpose to, to just like the, the hungry uh, crowd. The difference was it was their storm now. Their life was at risk. He was teaching them once again that when we see the storm in our life, not to get caught up in the impossibility, what we can see, but in the one who steps out in the middle of it and sustains it and sustains you. Don't gloss over this story because it's familiar, 
I remember my neighbor who, who lost a loved one, lost a husband. When I was a teenager and I watched them next door and I watched her come and go and I could tell her heart was broken. And I watched as our family and the church family gathered around them and loved them. And I remember seeing the spouse just a couple of weeks later. It's funny the things you remember, right? And I remember seeing that, that spouse a few weeks later in church with her hands raised. And I thought, well, isn't that just wonderful? God is increasing her faith and mine too. But the day that the storm showed up at my door... Wow. And we lost a loved one, a brother. I found him actually, dead. That's a different story. Hold on a second now. Hold on. I have all kinds of faith from a distance. when I'm watching Jesus sustaining power to feed others, <laughs> when he is supplying bread to other people, I'm fine. But now I'm in the boat, I'm in the middle of a storm that I don't know how to get out of. Who will I turn to? Now I'm feeling the sense of chronic loneliness where I wake up in the middle of the night and there is someone in my family crying every single day. And to show my faith by stepping out in the middle of it and being met with sinking, sinking, sinking in the waves. Ah, it's a different story, isn't it? When you go from the bread to the boat and it becomes real for you. You know what I'm talking about. Anybody in this room have ever felt pain? You always think it happens to someone else until it meets you. You know what I'm saying, right? And you go from the bread to the boat. My pain. It says their hearts were hardened, but it makes no sense to me because literally the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the boat is just what it seems like moments away, so close to each other, they still have the crumbs of the bread on their lips. They're doing this as they're getting in the boat. They, they understood about the lows, but they weren't getting the real faith lesson. Jesus didn't feed the 5,000 so they could get something from Jesus. Jesus fed the multitudes so they could know who he is. And the lesson of the loaves and the fishes is not, when you are hungry, I will feed you. The lesson of the loaves and the fishes is not that you will never be hungry or you will never feel pain in your life. The lesson of the loaves is that I am the bread of life. I am the sustainer of the entire, your entire life. It was me when you lost that loved one and you were lonely. It was me when you were hungry. It was me there. It was me when you were anxious. It was me when you were depressed. It was me when you were stepped out of the boat and sunk in the waves. I'm the one that was there. I am not just the provider. I am the sustainer. And if it's me in the boat, then the weather must heed to my command because I am Sovereign, and I am the sustainer. Amen? Amen? They experienced the miracle. They even handed out the bread. The disciples. But see, they thought they had Jesus figured out. 
I mean, they, 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 who's going to feed this crowd? I mean, they were amazed at it. But they thought they had Jesus figured out. He performed a miracle. They went amazing. And Jesus places them in a boat. And they just thought it was just business as usual. We're going to go to the other side, and we're going to do ministry. And Jesus said, hold on a second. You didn't get that. You, you're here to get from me. You need to learn a bigger lesson here. That it's not just I am provider. I am sustainer. And Jesus was the miracle is not what God can do for you because he's provider. The miracle is that in any situation in your life, that I show up in the middle of it. As the band returns, this, this, the feeding of the 5,000 was so significant that it happens again just a couple chapters later in Mark chapter 8. It says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. <laughs> don't, you, don't, don't you find that funny? Like, you just went through the feeding of the 5,000 by. You think you would have brought a few more loaves? You know, some Wonder Bread or something. Forgot to bring the bread. Except for the one loaf they had with them in the boat. Can you imagine? You, anybody, anybody ever lose a, some food in the bottom of the boat? It's not fit, sure. You know what I'm saying? Unless it's in a Sobey's bag. You know, and then you're, it's, it's, you know, at best, right? And they had with them in the boat one, one loaf. And Jesus warns them this time. He says, be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And what he's saying here is he's telling them to be careful not to let things in, that, in your life that will compromise and kill your faith. And when he said yeast, they thought he was referencing bread. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Way to go, guys. And Jesus must have been frustrated because he just fed the 5,000 and met them on the water, and yet they are still caught up in faith that they can see. Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have, you have eyes but fail to see? I love it because it's sarcasm, right? Really? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Right? Don't you, don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? 12, 12. And I could picture him, 12. You know? He goes on to ask, how many baskets fulls are there left now? You know, after me breaking the seven loaves for the 4,007, why is your faith still small when you have already seen me do this? And Jesus was, in fact, telling them what was to come. There was a bigger picture going on here, and they weren't getting it. What he was saying to them, in effect, was the, the bread of life, me, will be broken. And, if, and it, it is not until he was broken, Jesus, on the cross, for all of us, on the shore feeding the 5,000, on the sea calming the storm, now in the feeding of the 4,000, they didn't understand, understand sorry until he went to the cross. Jesus was reminding them, I'm not only sustaining you in your moment, but in the greatest moment in all of time that he was crushed for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. When I am broken, 
It can be given when I am broken. Would you stand with me all over this room? When you are when you are in the brokenness of your life, and what I mean by broken, when in the middle of things that are going on in your life, when when you, you were sailing along and the, the winds were in that sail and it was going, the wind was at your back, you know, and all of a sudden the wind changes and something happens in your life, whether it's illness or sickness, you lose a loved one or, or there's something going on in your control or out of your control. That's what I mean by the brokenness of your life. And when it seems when you think the wind should be working with you and it's not, it, it, it has to be mo- the most painful and broken moments of our life. It's one thing for other people around us not to understand our brokenness, but when we interpret what God is doing as him not understanding it, that's tough. But the bread of life has already been broken for you. And because of that, he is the sustainer of your life. He shows up in the middleness of your brokenness. And he does for you what you can't do. This is love. This is love. And Jesus steps in to your circumstances. Let me read you scripture today. It's one of my favorite scriptures, not because, I'm not reading it because it's my favorite, but because I believe it's for somebody today. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. This is way more important to you than you realize, Psalms 121. Because the psalmist reminds us that when we keep our eyes on what's going on around us in the middle of the storm, our faith will fail. And he reminds us of the trajectory of our faith. I lift my eyes to the mountains. And he asks a rhetorical question, but it makes me emotional because when I've read this at times in my life, it wasn't rhetorical. Where does my help come from? When I've asked that, it's been out of anger. God, where's my help? You said you'd be here. You weren't here. Where are you? I've asked it in anger. But the psalmist reminds us today, where does my help come from? It's rhetorical. My help comes from the Lord, a.k.a. the sustainer, the maker of heaven and earth. There it is. He's sovereign. Right? He doesn't remind us that he controls the heavens and earth to, to make us think that what we're going through is small. He's reminding us that he's the controller of this world and he controls everything, even the things that you're going through in your life. He is the sustainer. He will not let your foot slip. Boy, I tell you, there are times when it feels like a mudslide, not a slip. Anybody with me? The moments are not just like I'm slipping my foot. I've, I've, I'm out on my feet. 
and I'm just out of control. But he says, he will not let your foot slip. Sorry. He who watches over you will not slumber. And what, he, what the psalmist is saying is that in the middle of this out of control, this decisions and the pain that you're in, and while you are in the middle of it, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a day off. He sees you. He is Jesus on the mountain while the disciples are in, at the Sea of God. He can see what you, I do not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Boy, does things look more difficult at the nighttime? Anybody know that? Ever experienced that? Man, when the night comes, you can almost contain it during the day, but when the night comes and that darkness clo closes in, not only on the, on the day, but it seems like on your soul, man, does it ever seem so much bigger, doesn't it? He says, nor the moon by night. The Lord's, Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going. How's that? for security. But now, both now and what? Forevermore. Now here is my invitation to you today at 1239. Oh my goodness. Here's my invitation. Come. That's my invitation. Come. You in the middle of it? Come in the middle of it. Because Jesus effectively stopped the storm, not because of, just because of Peter's faith, but because he steps into the boat. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon. Thank you.